Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and star of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 201 now. We're rolling with our our episodes. We're adding new shows uh, week by week here. I want to just give a message to our audience before I say hello to our two hosts and introduce our guest today. 18,800 subscribers right now. Make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. That way we can battle the podcast analytics like we do in the baseball world. If you do that, we can keep providing you great content like we do here with Mark and Will every week. Stream us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can engage us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I get back to one guest every day live on Facebook, and I get back to everybody privately. We had over 400 questions this morning when I woke up, so I'll make sure I get back to everybody by the end of the day. We're in 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ. And our audience made this up, so they're making me read it every show, and I will do that for you guys. They want me to remind our almost 20,000 subscribers, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball, as this program, like all of our programs, has no time for any of the comfortable lies that are being told out there. So we're going to hit you right between the eyes. With that, Mark and Will, welcome back to your show. Great to be back, guys. Great guest today. It'll be good. We got a great guest. Yeah, you guys always do. Your guests, uh, there's such there's a deep connection between you guys and all your guests. I enjoy sometimes just sitting back and being an audience member myself. But uh, I want to introduce our guest today. 35 years in professional baseball, currently a major league scout with the Colorado Rockies. If we go back in time in 1983 with the University of Alabama, he spent some time as a college coach. Went all the way to the College World Series, got beat by a kind of an unknown pitcher by the name of Roger Clemens. Um, and we are going to hear, hear a little bit of a story. Uh, most of our guys here are former two and three sport athletes. There is a story to be told here about a lockdown he put on the great Moses Malone in high school basketball. So we're going to get to tell about that. With that, I want to do Steve Fleming. Steve, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yep, and and uh, not, not, to, not to disclose your location here, but this is a first for us, too. You are doing this interview from a parking lot in Starbucks, correct? <laughs> yes, I, that is correct. No awesome. internet. No internet in the... Uh, courtyard Marriott this morning and I had to make the adjustment as That's baseball it. people do. You got it. That's a real voice of the game first right there. So it took us 200 episodes to get to that. So um, I'm actually going to be doing a show remote next week from my barber shop. He asked me to do just open up a new barber shop. So I'll be in there uh, getting a haircut doing a show next week. So but uh, Mark and Will, I'll let you let you kind of kick it off with Steve right here. But I, I, let me ask the first question here. Going back to Roger Clemens now, what was what was a young Roger Clemens like if you can remember that? Uh, far? He, uh, Roger Clemens coming out of, uh, we faced him when he was at the University of Texas, didn't have the gas that he had once he got in pro ball, but he had the excellent command he always had. He didn't give you anything. So uh, we ended up getting beat four to three, and uh, it was a really good game. We didn't have the caliber of pitching that they had, but uh, that pretty good hitter, Maganin, Dave Maganin. Yeah. That year kind of carried us. He still has the college – uh, I think batting average, highest batting average ever. Yeah, textbook. 535. Not a lot of power, but I tell you what, he centered the ball all day all day long. Well, great story on Magan. And we, we went to the SEC uh, coaches meeting to pick the uh, all-stars for that uh, league, the SEC first team, all um, SEC all teams. And Dave, we came out and they said, hey, What's Magan and hitting? He said five fifteen. Now this is at the end of the year, and Joe Arnold, the coach at Florida, goes, "Come on, that's little league numbers." He says, 
who's who's keeping score? What just happens? We played University of Florida the first round of the SEC. Magan went five for five and hit two home runs against him. And after the game, Coach Schallenberger walked by him and goes, "How you like that uh, padding of stats? <laughs> a little, little different." Yeah. He had an un- unbelievable year that year. No, that's, I don't care what level you're playing at. Five thirty-five is five thirty-five. He won the Golden Spikes, didn't he? Yes, he won the Golden Spikes award that year. He raised his batting average when we went to the regionals of the College World Series. He raised his batting average from five fifteen to five thirty-five. Wow. Huh. Explain our audience what the Golden Spikes is. We have an educated audience, but sometimes college baseball gets lost a little bit. That's the uh, top player in college uh, that particular year. Uh, I believe that uh, Francona. I think Francona won that one year. Yeah, it's very, yeah, very good. Yeah, it's the Heisman Trophy of baseball. Yeah, yes, yep. exactly. Yep, yep. That's it. I'll, Mark, we'll let you let you have at our guest here. Mark, you got one off the bat. Well, let you go ahead. I want I want to hear that first question you have. I know you have a good okay. Uh, you know, Steve, I know you spent uh, you know your time in college. You played and were drafted by the Pirates, and you came back to the Pirates as an area scout. I uh, would love you to, for you to just share a little bit uh, as an area scout and a, a national cross checker and then assistant scouting director, some of your guys' processes there, uh, what you guys look for in pitchers uh, as this is a pitching show. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of build off of that to go. Well, the uh, when I originally came into uh, Pittsburgh, it was the old Pirates type of uh, scouting. What you look for was speed from the position players and uh, power arms. But basically, uh, they were looking for guys that could run and throw as far as positional players. They thought that they could teach them how to put the bat on the ball, which is kind of a lost art today, today's right. game. But uh, that's what they were looking for. If you look at back at the old Pirate teams back in the 70s, 80s, and the 90s, they were, they were basically built – on uh, speed, and that's what they were after. So that's you know, right. basically when you went out and looked, they, those tools had to show up, or they they weren't interested. You know, and I and, and I know you you coming from that and being in that system. You know, your passion for for looking for kids that are more athletic and hoping that we get more kids from uh, from inner cities involved that are really good athletes to start playing baseball again. Well, that's. Um, you know, uh, I'll let you elaborate a little bit on that because I know you've shared some ideas with me too. Well, that's the, uh, I think that's the kind of the lost thing in baseball right now is the type of players we're getting the blue collar, white collar, whatever you want to call it. Players, the players in the inner cities, one, they don't have places to play because they've basically eliminated the little league programs, everything's turned into travel ball. So you have to have the money to play. And I know there's been a couple of attempts by major league baseball to uh, develop the RBI club, so on and so forth. But you're talking about cities of seven, 8 million people in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. And so what do you have a hundred inner city kids playing on those clubs? Where's all the other kids? It's definitely not enough to get into the grassroots the way it needs to be. Exactly. You exactly. Know, you know, pretty much the the really good, you know, young inner city kids come to Major League Baseball through through 
whatever. They're, we're, we're not going out and helping to develop them, unfortunately. No, no. It, it's, it's, it's become a situation where uh, you're taking now a, a, what I consider a kind of a player that's more polished, that's already top end as far as his projection of uh, the player he's going to be in the end. You right. don't have the you don't have the wiry kids now. You got the kids come out of college; they've been in college programs where they've got strength and conditioning programs in college, and they're maxed out when they yeah. come into pro ball. Yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, it's not a development type situation where you're trying to uh, build a kid for baseball bodies right. anymore. They, they've they've had their own uh, weight training programs in different uh, colleges, and uh, it's uh, you can tell it. That's where the inj- a lot of the injuries are coming from. That's what I was going to ask you, Steve. You know, and we have a show with Jim Cott too, and Mark and Will talk about this. There wasn't that kind of heavy lifting back then, and I think there's a place for it. But do you think lifting's played a major impact in a lot of these arm injuries, even hitting injuries? I mean, we're having oblique injuries. Guys are getting hurt running the bases. I mean, those are baseball activities. They shouldn't be getting hurt doing that. Well, you're hitting on a very sore spot for me. I I, I don't understand. The conditioning programs now. Number one, they never run. You never see anybody going out and running poles anymore. You never see any hitters or that are position players that can run go out and work on their speed after the games, and you know just take off thirty yards and work on your starts. You don't see kids doing that. Uh, the basic thing, core, all the core exercises. So now what you do, you develop all these muscles through your rib cages and through your stomach. I've never seen so many obliques and abdomen strains. I, I, that's just unbelievably to, to me in baseball. That was that was the thing. It's a lot better. When I came through, uh, you didn't touch weights with basketball and baseball because they thought it tightened you up, which was the only way you're going to get stronger is to lift a little weights. But to the extent that we do it nowadays and no running, you don't do any running whatsoever, working on your speed. It's just uh, it's just a little bit different than what I've uh, I've thought, and I really I really believe that we overtrain. I really do the weight programs. So so often, I mean, we say it on our show, and all all our people from our era always say the same thing that they never heard of oblique and stomach and and all these different injuries that have, no. have occurred in baseball now and we've all sent up red flags and it's like i've never seen any research on why they think it's happening no you know, but- they, they go back and we never had it even you probably can go back and look at the uh doctors and trainers reports from the 70s and 80s 90s and you never saw any of that no no none I, I, you know, I've thought back to just my short playing career and then being in college coaching, uh, 83, 84, we started a weight program at the University of Alabama, but it was small. They didn't even have weight training programs back then, before that. Uh, It was a small thing and it was kind of an off break of football because football programs were into the weight training. So they wanted to do something for baseball, but we went to the track people. We went to the track people to learn what we needed to do. And then we had the uh, exercise phys department uh, kind of develop things for us. But I think now they, they're so intent on power 
so intent. Everything is power, 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 power pitching, power at the plate, power, power. So all they want to do is build muscles. And well, they're not – it's just uh, – I, I just think they, you know, they, there's a there's something missing. And I know Dave has got stuff on, on the disabled list um, and time lost and money lost. Uh, to the DL, it seems to me that would be the priority over all the other things is to keep people healthy because good pitchers have good years when they stay healthy. Yes. I mean, you can't win a Cy Young Award unless you stay healthy. You can't win a batting title unless you stay healthy. Exactly. I mean, all these things, you know, you see guys coming off with great starts in the game. Halfway through the season, they blow up and they were like, they were on record-breaking uh, path, but but who cares if you can't finish the deal? Yes, you know, you know that was uh, that was the piece that Kevin Kiernan wrote on, and I had found this data and I sent it to him. As of May thirty-first, Major League Baseball players had missed, I think it was over nine thousand total days of disabled list time. That was uh, like three hundred players. Um, over 300 players for over $204 million in, in salary paid out to guys who were hurt, which is just a staggering number to go, what are we doing? You know, and, 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 you know, I, I, the other thing I wanted to weigh in on, and I think Steve and I noticed this at the same time because players are not physically running. They spend their time in the weight room. Um, there's so much nutrition and food in the clubhouses. There's a lot of player, young players in the minor leagues that are getting heavier playing, whereas when we all played, we would lose weight during the season. And, and, and you, 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 know, it, it, you know, you go see kids in August and you go, my gosh, this guy's 20 pounds heavier and it's not strength. No, I, I agree 100%. I, I don't. I don't understand how you can gain weight. You're playing a 140 game schedule in the minor leagues, and it, it, the travel. I, I know the nutrition is much better than it used to be, but these guys are get, going up two pants size. Yeah, by the time I see them in August, you and know, especially especially the pitchers. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just I don't understand. They can't even get off the mound half the time. No, and, 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 you know, their deliveries get sloppy after about two innings because yes. they haven't trained and they don't have a strong, sturdy lower half because they don't run anymore. No, no, they don't. You know, the, funny, the funny thing is, is that and you hit on it. Uh, you hit on it, Steve, about, you know, the college had these phenomenal facilities and they lift weights and they're supposed to be like state-of-the-art in training and they have these pitching labs. They have all this stuff. Then I like to ask the question is this. When they come into pro ball and they sign, why does every organization got to watch everything they do because they're out of gas? <laughs> they're out of gas. The yes. most, uh, most a pitcher in college pitches, what, 100 innings? Right. 100 innings. 100 innings. He's throwing like once a week or something. Well, you know, that's, that's what I was going to say. He, he starts once a week. That's what he does. So I understand we were always careful and we set our program up, you know, to get them adapt. You know, we'd go to like a six-man rotation and that kind of thing. But 
the the point was I kept getting told this guy's out of gas and I'm going, what kind of programs these colleges have with all these facilities that these guys are out of gas? They should be unbelievable. Now I could see high school kids. We had to really watch the high school kids because high school kids, they don't have that kind of stuff. And, and it's a whole new experience and they're throwing a lot more than they ever have. You know, so we were very careful with the high school kids, but college guys, you shouldn't have to be as careful with the college guys you are with a high school kid. Yeah. You, that, that's what you would think. And, and uh, right now for me, the, the college kids come out and they're just as much max effort as a lot of the kids that are trying to be relievers. You know, even the starters in college, they don't know how to pace themselves. They don't know how to pitch. That All they do is grab the ball, go out there, throw it as hard as they can, break off sliders as hard as they can. And because the, the hitters are inexperienced, they chase it. So it's, uh, I think that you have to watch them more because those guys, uh, number one, they don't know how to pitch. Number two, they've been training. And what they've been training, like you said, once a week, it's all you pitch. So yeah. when they come into pro ball, now you got a long season and they don't know how to, they don't, they don't know how to back off and just pitch. No, they don't know the importance of command. No. Because, because all the velocity and spin rates have been pumped into their heads. You know, it's, it, it's, it's the same thing with, you know, doesn't it stand out when there's a college player that is really disciplined, that knows the strike zone, that hits the ball the other way? He stands out like a sore thumb. No question. Because he's way more like some of the better players were when we were younger. You know, I, I, I just saw a kid, I won't say the organization, but he went to University of Virginia. They came out of college and I they've always had pretty good pitching people over there. And this kid had a plus slider, but this organization is a big sweeper organization. So that plus slider that was 86, 87 with small late tilt that you guys all know that what I'm talking about has morphed into this wide flat breaking ball. That's two or three miles per hour slower. And I go, why, why are you taking away a pitch that has depth and inserting a pitch that has no depth and hope that guys just chase it. It's yeah, a the old little league, the old little league curveball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the old, the old American Legion curveball. That's what you used to call those things. Old, old sweeper. Right. Yeah. The old sweeper, you know, yeah. like, like they've actually invented something new, you know, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's like the four seam fastball got invented new too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, yes. And the other, some organizations are reinventing sinkers. Wow, you know, wow, you can throw sinkers and get outs. Holy mackerel! Well, that was the uh, Mark. You and Will both know what's the toughest thing for a hitter to hit. He has to gauge two planes. You want the baseball to go through two planes. Why you want to? Why you want to sit it on one plane? Why do you want to be? Able to, you don't want a flat fastball. You don't no. want a flat breaking ball. No. Hey, well, you know, it's funny. Um, I watched a little highlight thing the other day of some of Judge's home runs and Alfonso's home runs. And <laughs> they were thigh high, middle, right down the middle of the plate. Oh, every one. Thigh high to, to belt, middle of the plate. And I'm going, it's like on a tee. You know, you know. remember how Piazza used to hit? And sometimes it looked like he just was hitting off of a tee? Yes. Yeah. It, it looked like they were getting balls off a of tee pitch after pitch after pitch. Now, I will say Judge hits the ball out of that short right field porch in New York, 
yeah. on pretty good pitches away, but that's yeah. just because of the ballpark. Right. If he right. wasn't the ballpark, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't take those out of right field. No. He wouldn't be hitting them good enough. No, but no. It's, it's, uh, but it, it's, everybody goes, oh my God. I said, well, just have somebody that command the ball. Let me see a pitcher with command in the ball. Those guys don't get those pitches and they take 0 for 4s or 1 for 5s. Yes. You know, yeah. that's what happens. People go, guy, that guy really pitched good. Well, no kidding. More guys ought to pitch like that guy. He threw 93 and commanded it. Yeah. I, you know, like I, I cover both those clubs and people's fear to ever throw a fastball in on either one of those guys blows me away because they both have long arms and they're looking to get extended. You know, you, you can't just live on one side of the plate and, and what ends up happening is you're going to make a mistake in the middle or they're going to go out and do what judge does to right field when nobody ever keeps them honest. I would love to see Maddox pitch against those two guys. Oh, oh without a doubt. Without it would be a doubt. joke. It would be you know, a joke. You know, uh, so but true. It is, it is true. You watch those guys. You watch Maddox in today's game. The way the launch angle swing and the way no contact. You're not, you're not trained. The hitters are not trained to take the bat to the ball. They don't use their hands anymore. They all they do is they look for one, one zone swing, uh, and they like it that way. I, I I give you an example with Minnesota trading Araz yeah. to Miami, and now the guy that's playing the leadoff hitter is Gallo. Yeah, Minnesota. That's what you traded up to get a pitcher that you give up the best hitter in baseball. To get a guy that's and all they talk about is he leads, he's leading the club in home runs, right? You know that's uh, Gallo's got twelve or thirteen home runs, but he's hitting about a buck eighty. I'll take the guy that's hitting four hundred one and getting on base and. Hey, you know, if yeah, you're pitching, are you worried about Gallo? Or are you worried about the other guy that's on the base all the time? Gallo, right. Gallo's a, it's an accident when he hits the ball out of the park. It's just one of those yeah, things. You throw the ball where his where his bat's at. You know, and you know, they don't care about his strikeouts. They don't care about his batting average. They don't care about anything because they try to justify what they did by the fact he hit some home runs. Well, hey, guess what? He's always going to hit some home runs. He's always going to be a bad hitter. Sure. Well, you look, you look back in our day, Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman yeah. used to bat about seventh in the lineup. But, you know, he used to hit about 220 or 230 Yeah, along with the home runs. Right. Right. So nowadays, they, you go to a ballpark now in the minor leagues and you've got five guys in the lineup that are not even scratching 200. Uh, uh, at least. And then uh, 10 of the 16 pitchers have ERAs over five and a half. And you just go, wow, what are we doing? Well, you know, we've, we've had to make an adjustment because you were talking about, Dave was talking about the injuries in the major leagues. And you guys have talked about that. The injuries in baseball has caused us to make a change where now I go see a player. I know the guy's not a big leaguer, probably never should be a big leaguer, but he's going to make it to the big leagues because there's so many injuries in front of him that you right, have to keep right. the guy alive. Right. Yeah, and you can't go NP. Right. No, no you got to go. Now you got to put it down. No. Almost every guy is an upper-level org that can maybe help in an emergency at the major league. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. You have to to hold on, especially the pitchers. 
you have to hold on to them if they've got anything that resembles that they can get it across the plate and get a hitter yeah. out. I mean, well, uh, you know. let me tell you, if you're healthy and you're a pitcher, you're going to get a million opportunities. Sure you are. No it doesn't question. matter if you don't have any talent or not. No. no. Because if you get on a hot streak for a couple of weeks, you could be in the big leagues because of injuries and the fact that you're healthy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you see clubs that are, you know, uh, that's why I'm always enamored with somebody that kind of comes out of nowhere, gets to the big leagues and performs because they took advantage of that situation. And I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Mark, when we were in Cleveland, the cream rose to the top because they saw opportunities in the big leagues. I'm shocked at how many guys don't see those opportunities and, you know, kick it into another level and develop them, turn themselves into big leaguers. That, that, that's a great point. Because they don't believe they, they don't believe they're big leaguers. Will. No, that's right. True. And they're making a living at 28, 29 years old that they can't make when they go out into the real world because we pay them so much money now in triple A and double A. They, they hang on and they don't want to work anymore, but they're yeah. happy getting that. Yeah. And, and they, and they have the tools that they could probably go up and be productive in the big league if they'd work at it. Right. Right. So it's, it's just, uh, like you said, they, you get those guys and they just hold on triple A, triple A guys. You know, another factor is, is, you know, I always laugh when, when people blame managers for the, the pitch, when you, when we look at the roster and we go, nobody could manage that team to a winning season. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you, you, you gotta be realistic when you've had, when you've tied the hands of the manager to where you think the manager doesn't want to win. Well, you know, he wants to win, but you know, there becomes a point when you've got, you know, four a players all over the field and in the bullpen, that that a lot of them shouldn't be there, haven't earned to be there even. Even if they have the stuff, they haven't earned it. So they don't believe in themselves. So as soon as they get a little setback in the big leagues, they're gone because they just can't handle it. And hey, Mark, uh, Mark, I had a funny story. Uh, I was talking when Jim Fergosi was managing in Philly and, you know, after they went to the World Series, they're – you know, their bullpen and their team kind of fell apart. They weren't a very good team. And, uh, and like, he had a bullpen of all, all organizational guys and one guy that could get somebody out. And somebody asked them, you know, who do you use? You know, who do you use in a tough situation? He goes, whoever went to church on Sunday. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's a, that's as good a way, good a way to throw anybody out there there is right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you know, hopefully the atom balls go right at them, right? Right, exactly. I remember, I remember John McNamara, who I coached for. He he used to tell me, "Is Mark? I've been fired for being too hard on the players. I've been fired for being too nice to the players. I've been fired for not communicating. I've been fired." getting too close to my players i've been fired he says if they want to fire you they'll come up with a reason that's right that's <laughs> right 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 my my thing now for managers are they don't even manage all they are is crowd controlling the dugout because he comes up from, from upstairs i watch these minor league managers i feel sorry for them oh I because know. they're not de they're not developing any managerial skills what they do is they have a pitch count on a guy okay he's at 70 pitches Go get him. Doesn't matter what the situation of the game is, they go out and get him. 
They put in the guy to hit. You got a lefty on the mound. They put a left-handed hitter up there because it's his turn to bat that day. And there's no skill to winning games in the minor leagues anymore. So managers don't know how to manage anymore. No, well, we're so gonna... What happens is we, we these team, the coaches and managers have been given pitch counts and those kind of things. So in reality, sometimes the pitch count is too high for that day because the guy's already given up seven runs and he's one of your best prospects. You're going to let him fulfill his pitch count and give up nine. Right. And he's going to feel real good about himself after the end of that game when he is a guy you're counting on down the road. Yes. They don't know. They don't know what's important and when to make a decision. They 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 like to let the rules make the decision for them rather than allowing them <laughs> decision. Right. You know. You know. We're going to wake up in five years, and there's not going to be any managers that have a Bruce Bochy gut or a, or a Buck Showalter gut, guys that have a gut and feel for the game or a Dusty Baker that, that knows how to run a game and knows when to leave a guy in, knows when to take a guy out because, like you said, Flem, all their decisions have been made for them. Yes. And, and there's basically a script that this guy's going to throw five innings and after five innings – he could have 50 pitches and a no-hitter. He's coming out because the next four guys are going to throw the next four innings. Yes. And that and, and, and none of that is productive to having a major league role that is not, not scripted as much as, as a minor league role. Right. But it, the minor league roles, I'm watching Altoona right now, and which is Pittsburgh's double-A squad. I would say that maybe two players have played the same position, right? Right. In, in back-to-back games, uh, they right. don't. It, it, you don't learn your position anymore. They wonder why there's so many mistakes. You got to watch minor league games. Even it's, it's starting to trickle into the major league now. They, it's especially with the shifting because players don't practice where they're supposed to be. No, they don't no. understand their position. They they they're jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, exactly. They don't have a feel for how to play their position, how to read the ball off the bat, how to be a little bit more instinctive to to know your pitcher and know your hitters, and you just don't see that kind of movement. Well, you know, it, it's it's really it gets down to, I mean, if I was a a coach in today's world, and I and the organization I was with was one that uh, didn't allow any free thinking or anything. Um, I'd have to question them on, you know, like, what do you want me to do? Right. You know, like, what kind of position do you want me to have? Um, Do you want me to earn my skills or use my skills of observation? You know, do you, you, I, you know, you say I can't throw a pitcher three days in a row. uh, So you're not trusting me to make that decision, watching him do his pregame, talking to him looking at his pitch count over the last two games saying, yeah, he could go, he could go an inning today and then I'll give him a couple of days off. They don't allow you to do that. No, because, every, and they don't understand everybody's different. Yeah. One guy can't handle, but pitching every other day, other guys can pitch four days in a row. You give them a couple of days. Oh, they're fine. You know, it, it's a reality and nobody can, nobody can tell me different because I did it for 17 years in the big leagues with big league players that stayed healthy the entire season and got like 50 saves. So don't tell me that I can't recognize that stuff myself 
and give you know good suggestions uh, to the manager. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree 100%. And I, I think that's the the problem is they don't understand that the personalities. Hey, you know, maybe this guy had a bad night sleeping. Maybe he's really tired. You don't want to use him. You want to use somebody else because that player is not going to give you what he normally gives you. And this other guy's good. But there's no, no feel for the game from the managers anymore. They don't have a feel what's going on. They used to call it what? Uh, managing by the seat of your pants, you know, Bobby Cox, that type. But it's not really managing by the seat of your pants. It's basically knowing your personnel, knowing what they can do, and getting the best out of them on that particular day. And, you and know, I, there's none of that anymore. You know, it's funny. You know, I've had probably five times in the last three weeks where a starter has gone out and pitched extremely well. It's a close game. And the manager just takes them out. They have a low pitch count because he's got to use his other guys. And you, and all the guys like us that, that understand the game go, he just lost the game. Oh, you know, because you, know, you know that the other team is going, oh, good, he's out. That's the uh, situational relief pitching, which drives me absolutely. Well, you know, we're in the seventh. We've got to use this guy now. Yeah, we're going to use this guy now. Up oh, the ninth, he's cl- we're closing. Why are you bringing me your, your starting pitcher? Has just been mowing them down for eight innings. Yeah, you but know that was in the ninth. We got we got we got to put the closer in. That's what we paid for. That was the Blake Snell game in the World Series against the Dodgers, where where I read articles where the Dodgers were elated that that the cash went out and took him out. Well, yeah. Well, what was it? What was the other guy? The, who who came in? You remember? I can't remember who it was. It was somebody who had a pretty good year, but but Snell was, was it, dominant. Was it was it that Anderson guy? It might have been. Yeah, it might have been. I Anderson. remember. This is another thing. This is another thing totally from an observation view because I watched that whole series and I and I don't remember if he was the one that relieved then, but he got beat late. I think in that game. Yeah, he got hit hard. Yep. But if you watch the games prior to that, he dominated like he pitched like more more outings than anybody in the World Series that year, and he was dominant for about four games. Then he started getting hit. Then he got hit pretty hard one day. You know, maybe there were atom balls or something. Then he got put in that game and he got shelled. You know, those are observations that pitching coaches and managers should be able to say. You know what? He's starting to get fried. Yeah, he's out of gas. You know, exactly. Yeah. No, no. Hey, uh, hey, Flem, I wanted to go back because, you know, we talked about Maddox and we talked a little bit about him last week. And I know that you went over as a cross checker with the Braves and uh, were part of, you know, the end of their run and probably like the beginning of the rebuild, uh, working with Tony DeMacio, who Mark and I know. But, um, you know, they've always done such a good job with pitching and, you know, the people that, that you got a chance to work with over there. I'd love if you share any uh, insight into uh, what you guys look for from a pitching standpoint. A pitching standpoint, when I came on to the Braves, Bruce Del Canton had just retired. He just, he just, he, yeah. just, he was, just, he was gone. But it was still a carryover at that time from the Bobby Cox days and uh, everything. And it was just a, a situation. You look for guys that could pitch. Look, look at. Look at Maddox. Look at Glavin. Avery before he hurt his arm. 
You know, like, like Smoltz, Smoltz, everybody, oh, power pitcher, power pitcher. Smoltz could throw it where he wanted. He could throw it where he wanted to. That's right. Yeah, I mean, he pitched. And, the, the, I mean, you're not in the Hall of Fame as a closer and a uh, starting pitcher doing what right. he did, but you couldn't pitch. That kind of success. You know, he, just, he just happened to have a, a power arm to go with it. Right. But, but that's basically what you look, look for. Uh, we were taught uh, basically the last – couple of years I was with the Pirates and uh, we did started doing it with, with Mickey White when you went out as a cross checker you didn't take a radar gun you didn't do any all we looked for was how he located his pitches the effort he had in his delivery and his makeup right how he handled how he handled it getting hit around a little bit it was he immature you know high school kids are going to be immature you know they just you, it's a special guy that can handle diversity at a high school level when he's never had to handle it before. And uh, that's basically what we look for. We look for guys that could pitch, to locate their pitches, had movement on the fastball, and had some type of breaking ball that was a average breaking ball at that time that you could tell was going to be better than average in the future. So that's, that's, that's what we're looking for. And they come in all different shapes and sizes, tall, lean, you know, I know there's a lot of metrics that go into a lot of drafting now. It was one of the things with Pittsburghs they used to, they were starting to get where they would measure from the hand to the elbow to see how long their levers were and things like that. It, it, hey, it's uh, it, it, different different body types. You can't right. you can't put it into one shell and go, hey, it's a clone and this is what's going to make a big league pitcher. Look at all the different ones in the Hall of, the Hall of Fame. Well, that was uh, a, f- a friend of mine that works for the Indians goes out and cross check well the Guardians, and he was the first year he did it. He was reading some of the reports and he asked one of the guys if if he was a doctor because because he couldn't understand anything on the report because there was stuff about the the scap load and the and the the the, the, the particular this and the. And, uh, <laughs> And the flexation of the lower lower torso torque torque and and, and he goes I, I I could understand he goes is the guy any good can he pitch right yeah, that's the whole I remember Mickey talking to one of the scouts he asked him he goes I don't care what color the grass is I want to know if a guy can play or if he can't play you're you're, you're drawing me a picture of everything but what I want to know right so, so it's the <laughs> Can he play or can he play? That's what it comes down to. Well, you know, it's funny when I watch these, the NBA playoffs and you see extra players that weren't drafted that, man, they were running up and down the court. They're just in the middle of everything. And the the broadcaster will make comments about how they were in college, maybe a small college or something. And they go, yeah, this guy, this guy's been unbelievable. He's just a gamer. He's out there all the time. He's relentless. And, you know, and that's that's the same kind of guys we're looking for. Yes. You know, like we're looking for those guys that after the game, there's a pitcher working on his delivery off a side mound. Yes. You know, we're, we're looking for those guys right. because that solidifies the kind of character and work ethic that they have. Right. 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 When you used to go used to go to the when I was doing the cross checking and doing the uh, the area as a scout. The one thing that I always did I always went early. Always went really early. One to look over the field because if you see an infielder, you didn't know what kind of grass he was playing on it because it could be yeah. terrible, especially in high school. But I wanted to see where the player came out. Was he with the, was he the first guy out there? 
Was he yeah, doing right. any extra work to make himself better before the game? Right, what did right. he, and then you hang around after the game to see how what he's they, doing after you know, to match how do they point. Interact? That's, that's exactly what you're looking for. You know, how do they interact with their teammates? Are they yes. leaders? Are they exactly? Are they guys? Hey, let's go, guys! Come on, let's go! Time to get ready. I used to. I used to I go, used to go I, out. I, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say I used to. I used to. I never wore anything that had my Pirates or Braves paraphernalia on. I never knew anything, and I used to go up in the stands and just sit during the game for a couple of innings because you'd always have the kids around that would tell you what type of individual the pitcher was. And you could kind of get a, get a makeup type yeah. situation on, on the kid and draw the conclusion. Cause you know, one Mark, you will know you don't make it to the big leagues unless you work. And if you That's don't know right. how to work and if you don't have that in your character, you're not going to make it to the big leagues. I don't care how good you are, unless you have a God given yeah. talent, and you just have, and usually, usually those guys don't love the game and they don't stay that long as long as they should, no, because right. they're just started on talent. You know, I've often said that when I used to go out and do the kind of cross checker work when I was a special assistant, and uh, I'd watch these pitchers that were I, I get sent out to see all the top pitchers in the country, <clears throat> and I'd watch them, and I'd see them do things that I knew would turn off scouts. And I used to say to the guys, I said, you know what? If I ever worked for an agent and he turned me loose on these kids, I said, I could probably pick up an extra million dollars for them just by telling them how to act, how to send, how to be polite to the umpires, how to work after, prior and, and, and after the game and show these guys you have work ethic. I could, I could fake out some of the scouts. Oh, because sure. I could get guys to do and look like you're supposed to look now. It might end up them getting a lot of money, and then might not being a very good player. But, but in today's but world, they don't do that stuff anyway. And I don't know if how many well, scouts look for that any well, either. Mark, I, 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 I'll, I'll, like give you a little thing that I've noticed is, I think the really good agents like Scott Boris, they they script their guys to do all those little things for that big chunk of change. But then that's all gone once they sign because the real guy comes out a lot of times. Right. Right. You know, I think that, you know, but, but like you said, he does that. He, you know, they, they answer every question. They say everything exactly. You go, wow, this guy's a really good guy. And then all of a sudden you see something happen. You go, wait, he's not that good of a guy. Well, that's, that's why you're good scouts. You know, they watch him play football in high school and basketball. They they are around him. They they're around all the time. That's why the neighborhood scout is really important. Even if you have a bird dog that you trust, yeah, exactly. and you're an area guy, and he says, "Listen, I've seen this kid. The kid lives down the street from me. This kid, he's a he's a rat, a gym rat. He's unbelievable." Um, you know, you can get that information if you have the time to do it. Right, right. That's that's to give you a little story. I don't know if you remember the left-handed pitcher Jimmy Anderson that pitched yeah. uh, pitched with the Pirates for a while and everything. And he he was the same guy in high school that he was in, in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, nothing ever changed. But I can remember talking to uh, going to see him play, and he gave off the vibe that he wasn't really interested. He, at that time, beepers were big. He had a beeper and all that. And I remember I had a bird dog. His name was Bobby McKinney. 
Bobby McCain goes, hey, look, I've known this kid since he's 15 years old. He's going to make it to the big leagues because he thinks he's a big leaguer right now. And he's going to work, and he'll he'll make it to the big leagues. He said, I don't know how good he's going to be there, but he, but he said he's got a lot more character to him once you get to know him. He comes off as a little aloof. And I went by that, and we ended up drafting about the 10th round. The guy did. He pitched in the big league about five years. And yeah. he was just the same yeah. guy because – because of my bird dog, because the, the local guy, like you said, Mark, knew him. He knew his background. And that's what you why need to bird know. Dogs been, why have they been marginalized, Steve, the bird dogs? Because that's that's how I got signed way back when was if there were no bird dogs, a five foot 10, 160-pound northeastern light-hitting yes. second baseman never gets a chance. Exactly. And, that, and that's the way it used to be. Another story, when I first took, came on with the Pirates, we had an old old scout was up in the area and uh, I was trying to think of we uh, JJ uh, oh crap can't think of his name off the top of my head but anyway when he came, when I came on he had thirteen boxes Joe Consoli you remember Joe Consoli I, oh I think Joe Consoli yeah Joe Consoli every and he, yeah. he had camps everywhere and what he did was he had I came on I had twenty seven bird dogs in my area that Joe had Joe had put on. And I had to run a yeah. camp at all these bird dogs areas because these uh, guys knew. You know, that's the end of a lost thing, too. I it think. was just small camps. The, you know, just your those, thing. Those they, older the way people they got seen that love the game. They and still they have all the perfect game stuff that you go out to. Because you had to actually go out. Plus, yeah. then you had to do they, your pro scouting, they, too, in the summer. So it's uh, somebody that's cut. the way you get found back then. Bird dogs. Area scouts have kind of become bird dogs nowadays. Steve's breaking up a little bit there, I think. Let me see if I can fiddle around. Are you there? There we go. Better go back into Starbucks. That's right. (laughs) Start. Tell Starbucks to reload your card there. Hey, Steve, I want want you to talk. We're closing in on about forty-five minutes. I I want you to get to your your sons. You've got, you've uh, you've done great things in baseball, but you passed it on to your children. I know Will talked about it earlier pre-show. Talk a little bit about your sons. Steve, were you able to catch that? Yeah, I'm telling you, he's going to have to go back into Starbucks. I did. Well, Mark, well, what, as far as the bird dogs, when did they start eliminating them? You know, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's still some around, but I don't know. They're, we used to not have to give them any money, sometimes transportation, and they would give them all kinds of memorabilia. And, yeah. You know, or 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 was a, a commission scout. You know, Bob Johnson hired me, my first job as a commission scout, and I got a five hundred dollar bonus because I recommended a kid that the expo signed. Um, you know, it, it was it was a way to get your foot in the door. Um, it was getting out to the ballpark, watching guys. You know, helping set up a tryout camp, doing things like that. That that we don't do anymore because everything is showcase oriented and uh, all the other different things that, that, that the, the area scout and the bird dog has been uh, has been just marginalized and it's become a cross checker showcase game. Yeah. They used to have scout teams. Yeah. Yeah. They used to have scout teams where the team, the, the, the scout in the area, or he would have one of his bird dogs run a team and he would run guys he was interested in there playing. Yeah. Yep. And they would play and they could get to know the kid. They right. could find out what kind of makeup he had, 
you know, how he performed under stress. You know, they could find those things. I don't know if those things exist that much anymore. There's still some scout teams, but, you know, it's just become such a big mass production that just the everyday kid going out and playing baseball is, has been marginalized because everything has to be a big stage now. Yeah. Well, what, you, you, Will, you and I talked about this way back in the beginning. I mean, if, if when somebody got the opportunity to be a bird dog, that was an honor. That was, I mean, they yeah. took pride in it. They were at the park. Yeah. Nowadays, would it be safe to say that that could be exploited where if guys got a bird dog, they would use it to build up their travel team instead of the, the scout team, so to speak? They'd use yeah, it as I, kind of a carrot. I, I, I think that there's, I get calls from people that I know that have academies. They say, hey, you know, I want to be a, a bird dog with the Rockies. And I go, no, you know, you're doing it so you can put it on your website to get more kids to come in. You're not going to, you're, you're trying to run an indoor facility that you're working 80 hours a week. Who are you going to go see? You know, right. uh, so it, it, it it's, you know, um, you know, I had some older people. Uh, we had a kid with, that pitched for me with uh, Cleveland when I was a pitching coach, and his dad had done some scouting and bird dogging, and he had played college and a little bit of minor league baseball. He was a great asset for me in New England. He did a he he set up a camp for me and Billy Shearer up in Massachusetts our first summer with the Marlins. He he invited like 55, 60 kids there, and thirty five of them ended up getting drafted within the next year. Oh, wow. and you go and you know and they were from New Hampshire and uh, from Massachusetts. He had some kids from Rhode Island, and I'm going, wow, what a what a great job, you know, what an asset he was. Yeah, I'll see if yeah, we got Steve think- back here. Steve, you back with us? I got a text from him. Well, we, we may want to close out, and then we'll, we'll bring Steve back on another time. But will you you know a little bit about Steve's? You were gonna you wanted to talk about his children a little bit. I love when the guys talk yeah. about his sons. Yeah, talk Steve, about them for Steve. Steve has three sons. Uh, he has a son that played at West Point and served our country, who worked for the Toronto Blue Jays for years as uh, their national video cross checker, and he is now a head coach at a. Division two school in Pennsylvania. Uh, he, he has another son uh, who got drafted uh, out of junior college that played in the Brave system, and uh, he is now a Division three head coach at Averett University in Virginia, where my son Dante played for him, and he's doing a great job there. Uh, he has another son that got drafted out of high school, played in the minor leagues went back and he was a two two sport football star walked on and played football at Clemson and he I believe is now coaching at James Madison University as a graduate assistant where he's gotten his degree so uh, their passion for the game and giving back and coaching and making you know doing things for kids uh, is continuing to move forward in a, yeah. in a really good way Phenomenal. Mark, do you want to give a parting shot here to the audience? Yeah, Anything about Steve or you? That, you know, I think the knowledge that that scouts who observe players can give you and the insights on, you know, what we feel is important, um, that 
that'll help you be a better player and give you a better opportunity to get into the major leagues. I think it's really important to listen to the people who, who are in charge of scouting and putting people in professional systems. Yeah. Um, it's uh, sometimes people tell you things you want to hear. Um, I know on our show, we kind of tell you the way it is. Um, and I hope that you take that uh, in a positive way and understand that, that all we try to do is try to help guys understand uh, the right way to play the game. And that way will most likely give you a better opportunity to move up in professional baseball. I think that's well said. It's, it's the, my favorite question to people. Do you want information or affirmation? If they want information, we're a great place to be. That's right. If they want affirmation, they can go get a dog. The dog will wag its tail all day long. So right. uh, with that, Steve Fleming, great guest today, episode 201. Hey, hey, hey Dave, I, I wanted to uh, – it's uh, – being a kid that grew up outside of Philly, it's the 40-year anniversary of the Sixers winning the NBA title. Oh, yeah, tell that story. Give us and, some Moses. Uh, they have uh, they had a, a center that they signed, which put took them to the promised land. Moses Malone. Um, they you know they had Dr. J and uh, Andrew Tony and Maurice Cheeks and Bobby Jones. They had Doug Collins. They had a really good team, but the guy that got them over the hump was Moses. And when I met Steve, uh, we got talking, and uh, he played in the same conference as Moses in high school. And as a six foot two uh, center, he was uh, covering the six foot eleven Moses, but he he shut him down for thirty eight points in the first half. He told me so, nice, uh, and and he he said that Moses was the most physical human being that he was ever around, and he was only like seventeen or eighteen years old at the time. So yeah, and he was probably six months from going to the NBA at that time because he went yeah, right to the NBA exactly, from high school. Exactly right. So I'm glad, I'm glad you, you grabbed that one because that was a, one I teased in the beginning and we almost forgot that. Um, but, guys, thanks for another great show. Episode 201, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Our twenty almost 20,000 subscribers now, 18,900 have clicked up as this show is going on. So we're growing even as we're recording. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We're battling the podcast analytics just like we do in baseball. We can keep providing you great content every week like we do here with Mark and Will. If you do that for us. Stream us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. We're in 72 countries now, grassroots MLB front offices, and we are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Make sure you hit us up on there. We're just trying to build better baseball IQs out there. I love shows when I get smarter. I always get smarter with you guys' show. We got, we got some background noise there. And then um, just reminding our audience wants me to remind everybody as they get on this show, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball and sometimes life. As this program, like all of ours, has no time for any comfortable lies that are being told out there about the game. So, Mark and Will, thanks so much. Great show again. And, Steve, we'll get to you right after the show. Sorry, Starbucks. I guess that the, the Internet courtesy ran out there. So we'll, we'll get you back here. Thank you.